Today we're looking at the dad in the story of, of Jesus' birth. Um, not God the father, but Joseph the dad. And we're going to be looking at his role in the story and maybe what's going on in his life as well. So as we begin the message, let me pray and then we will jump into this service. Father God, it's a reminder today that... Uh, the sacrifice that you brought through your son cleanses us as white as snow, that we don't have to live with regrets or past hurts we can forgive, we can be reconciled with you and with others, and live a new life, a future in your presence that you, uh, you designed for us. Father, we're looking at Joseph today. Uh, you had a tough assignment for him, and we thank you for his example to us. May we find um, truth in this message today that we can take home with us and use in our own homes, with our own kids, in our own families. Thank you for this day, for all that you will bring for this season as a reminder of your love for us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's read through the scripture that we're going to be dealing with today, beginning in Matthew chapter 1. You know that there's two gospels that record the birth of Christ, Luke and, and Matthew. We've been in Luke most of the time so far, but we're jumping over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins and all of this occurred to fulfill the, message, the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Going over to Luke chapter 2. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And when the days, uh, jumping way down into, the, continue into, into Luke, verse 22, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opened the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and offer a sacrifice according to that which is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. So uh, after the birth of any of a child, particularly the firstborn, you had to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, um, a sin offering and a burnt offering. This is what was in the law. And so... Moses had required this of all of the Israelite people, part of the, the rules, the religious rituals that God had given to him. So typically a lamb would have been offered as a sacrifice, uh, and there were lots of sheep around, as we talked about last week with the shepherds around Bethlehem. But if you were poor, 
They couldn't afford a lamb. Uh, two birds were okay. And so they bring their two birds as an offering. So it tells us a little bit about the status of Mary and Joseph. Young family, trying to make a living. Um, was from Nazareth, now trying to make a living in Bethlehem. Probably things were slow, but you had to go to the temple uh, anyway. You had to do what it took to get your sacrifice, to do the offerings. And so after a certain period of time, they did go to the temple. They took two, two birds, the best that they could manage. Uh, Mary and Joseph were going to have uh, six more children after Jesus. And can you imagine trying to feed and clothe seven kids on a carpenter's salary? Probably was going to be a bit tough. And I think Jesus grew up knowing what it was to live kind of on the edge, never having too much, maybe just having enough. So he could identify with most people. Uh, he knew what it was like to grow up with just enough that you weren't starving. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to continue a few more verses here. The wise men came uh, to speak and see the, the, the king, and this was a couple of years probably after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was now maybe a toddler. It says the wise men in chapter 2, verse 13 of Matthew, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And then that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Verse 19, when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again. And he's in Egypt and he says, get up. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. When he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, uh, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. So after being warned in a dream, again, <laughs> he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went to a town called Nazareth, where they had started way back. And this fulfilled what the prophet had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Just this story, lots of prophecies are being fulfilled. Every time Jesus does something, or Joseph or Mary, it's another fulfillment of a prophecy, which means that God had already foretold the story. This is not a new story. Uh, what's happening is uh, there's prophecy, prophecies all throughout the Old Testament, and we're putting them together, making the whole picture of what Jesus was about. Just thinking about Joseph, can you imagine at the birth, crazy shepherds showing up at the birth, telling some fantastical story about angels appearing in the night, glory shining around, and, and, and then wise men from the east, I don't even know what they look like. What are magi look like? I don't know. They're called kings. They're smart people, astrologers. They could tell what's going on in the sky, could read the stars, and they found him. I don't know. Joseph's thinking, okay. Yeah, put the gifts over there with the others. <laughs> Ooh, gold. We got some frankincense and myrrh. I personally, I feel that, you know, when, when the angel again in the dream told Joseph to go to Egypt, um, that gold and the frankincense and myrrh would have come in handy to uh, fund the trip that they were going to have to. He, he, I don't think he could have spoken Arabic. Going to go off to make a living in Egypt. Uh, 
what the language of the day was, I'm not sure. But when I see with this man, Joseph, and then he goes to, to, to bring Jesus as a baby to the temple. So we have shepherds coming out of nowhere. We've got wise men showing up with gifts. And then he's going to go to the temple, and, and he's, I don't know, I could say accosted by a, by a prophet there. But a guy named Simeon comes. He sees this child. And it says here in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord, the Lord, the Lord's Christ. And he came to the Spirit, in the Spirit, to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Some guy grabs your kid and starts prophesying over them, going, <laughs> Joseph, we're probably, hey, what's going on here? Like, who are you? Again, another prophecy being fulfilled in the life of Simeon. I just I have a lot of respect for this guy. Uh, being a dad, trying to protect my family, trying to provide for them. Uh, but he had some very challenging times. On several occasions, I've had individuals share visions for what they have had for me. Um, both were very encouraging, actually. Uh, people come up to me sometimes, not often, and they say, well, when you were preaching up there, I had this vision. Uh, one lady said, there's a big angel behind you. I could see you with a sword drawn. And I said, I hope it's not to slay me. Uh, I said, no. I got the impression that the angel had your back. That whatever you need to do, you need to do in the power of the Lord. I'm going, wow, I think I'll take that vision. Um, we had one person in our family, uh, when, when one of my sons was born, they, they had a picture of what God might do with this child in the future. Have you ever had someone give a prophecy or have a picture of what God might want to do with one of your kids? It really helps guide your prayer life because you always have that in the back of your mind. You're always praying in that direction. Sometimes God gives us a picture of what he wants to do in the future. And so we can, we can orient our life towards that. But it's, 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 it's quite, I don't know if I'd say unnerving or if it's um, comforting when someone makes a prediction about one of your kids. This is what Joseph had to deal with. Strange things, phenomenons were happening, and he was trying to navigate all of this as, a, as an ordinary guy. He would not had this kind of thing happen in the past. He, then he had to deal with the very real danger that King Herod was sending hitmen out to kill his young son. What a challenging time. Angels and wise men and shepherds and prophecies and a wicked king, spontaneous journeys to foreign countries, What's going on? He needed a pretty stable person, someone that wasn't easily shocked or easily moved, someone that you could trust and depend on, and that's what God found in Joseph. We know very little about him. We know he gets visited four times by angels in divine visions, and from the few verses we have about him, we find him uncomplicated, 
uh, straightforward, uh, someone that God could trust to protect his family and to raise him in a godly home. I really think that God, uh, he found someone that was just a, just a solid, hard-working guy. But he asked a lot from Joseph. He asked, uh, he asked him to trust him when he found out his fiance was pregnant and he wasn't the dad. I think I would go nuts. I would just freak out. I, but Joseph doesn't. He's, he says, you know what? I'm sorry that this is happening. Let's just, let's just cancel the engagement. He didn't scream and yell and threaten and shame and rebuke and drag her out into the public square for committing adultery. She could have been rightfully stoned to death in the day for being pregnant without a husband. But Joseph didn't do any of those things. He was, he was a good guy who loved his wife and was going to do right. And so God intervenes and says, Joseph, I know this is going to be hard for you, but I'm the dad. I'm the one that has got your, your wife in this situation because I've got a plan to redeem the world. And I need you to be strong, Joseph. I need you to hang in there. I need you to trust me. And it's amazing to me, every time an angel comes to Joseph, it says like the very next second he does what he's been asked to do. He doesn't, he, he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't ask for a second, second plan. What's the plan B? God, like Moses. Yeah, can't you send somebody else, uh, Gideon? You know, um, I don't know if this is what I expected. Can you give me another vision or another affirmation? Joseph doesn't complain, doesn't criticize, doesn't bargain, doesn't ask for any special favors. He just, it says he got up and he obeyed. He got up and left. He got up and went to Egypt. He got up, went to Nazareth. It's like he just, the very next, that night in fact. So he was devastated when he found out his fiancee was pregnant, but his caring nature showed forth in that he did not publicly shame her. He was stressed about how do you raise a Messiah? Like seriously, what do you teach a Messiah? This is God's son. Like what am Hey, uh, let me show you how to do, uh, <clears throat> build a, a shovel. We'll teach you how to make a house or a doorway, how to, how, to, how to build a barn. I don't know. What do you teach? Cabinetry, furniture making, mortise and tenon joints. It's interesting to me that when I, when I see that, that Jesus became a carpenter, you know, how many of his illustrations and parables involve carpentry? I think I see one about building a house on the rocks instead of on the sand. But beyond that, I mean, his life was, for 30 years, was carpentry. But there's so few parables using carpentry. I don't know, for raising a, a kid who was the Messiah, it says in the day there's four things, if you're a dad, there's four things you had to do for your son. Now, every, every father was bound to do these four things. One, to circumcise him on the eighth day. Second, to redeem him with a sacrifice in the temple, which we see he did. To teach him the law, third. And fourth, to teach him a trade. In other words, give him a career, set him up for the future. So this was founded on the maxim that says, if you don't teach your son to do some work, you're teaching him robbery. 
So if you don't give him a work to do, you're teaching him to steal because he can't make his own living. So I figure that Joseph did pretty well teaching Jesus how to be a, uh, how to be a carpenter because in Mark chapter 6, it says Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. The many who heard him, this was in Nazareth. He was home in Nazareth with his disciples. He was going to teach in the synagogue. And then they were astonished when they heard him. And they asked, where did this man get these things? What, what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They said, isn't this the carpenter? So what we find that Jesus was not just in a home of a carpenter, but we don't find that his father was really mentioned much anymore after they went back to Nazareth. We figure that his dad, probably Joseph, passed away. Earlier, Jesus took over the family business. And when Jesus started his ministry as uh, the Messiah at age 30, he handed it over to his brothers to continue on making a living through carpentry. The other thing God asked of Joseph was that he had to uproot his family from Bethlehem, sneak off under the cover of darkness and hide in Egypt till it was safe to return. I don't know. Um, have you ever, dads, have you ever had to protect your family? Have you ever been in a situation where your family was threatened? You had to stand up. You had to be the go-to guy. You had to let your kids see that dad's there. I, uh, I've had to the privilege of uh, intervening a few times in the lives of my kids when they needed uh, an adult to come in and smooth out a situation, we'll just say. Uh, and it's, it's nice for a kid to watch their dad step in and in a calm way, yeah, don't yelling and screaming and calling names, but to get uh, satisfaction uh, in a situation where the, the kid thought that there was no hope or no, no way through it. And uh, I love being the hero, you know, once in a while, not often, but to come through for the kids. And he was told to uproot his family and go to Egypt, and he was told to uproot his family and go to Nazareth. Three different times he had to leave where he was and set up shop all over again. I feel, <laughs> I feel bad for Joseph. He couldn't stay very long in any one place, it seems like, and build up a business. He had to keep starting over each time. What I liked about Joseph is that he said that he left the very night the angel told him to. He didn't say, yeah, whoa, that's going to be a long journey. Uh, weather's not very great. It's kind of late at night. It says he got up that night and left. Immediate. Let me ask, I'm going to pick on the dads for just a minute, if that's okay. Wives, you can just go, mm-hmm, yeah. But dads, let me ask you this question. Could God get your attention if he needed to? If your family or business or church was in danger, could he get your attention and trust you to deliver a message or act on the vision he gave you? Are you in a place where God can speak to you and you would hear him, that you would understand that God has stepped into your world and had a word for you? Would you just blow it off or ignore it or chalk the vision up to indigestion? Or maybe a bigger question would be, if God did give you a message, do you have the kind of character or reputation that people would believe you or take you seriously if you did get a message from God? Is this, do you normally have God in your conversation? Do you normally have um, 
scripture or Bible verses or something that says that you are a, a Christian, um, people know without any doubt that you follow God and you seek him. They trust you. Now, there's, there's some people that gave me a message. I go, hmm, I'm going to consider the source here. <laughs> Who is giving me this message? But man, could God get your attention if he had an important word for you and for your family? I like that Joseph did not seem to even hesitate, though it meant closing up his carpentry shop, leaving town. He didn't even know where he was going to sleep the next night. Those four things that every father was to do for their son, their son uh, I like the, the fact that you had a list. These are the four things that every dad should do for their kids. Well, I've come up with my own four things. The first thing I take from this is that we need to see our family as a blessing and a responsibility from the Lord. You may have very challenging things to deal with in your home. Um, Everyone has different kids, different marriage, different situation. Then maybe what you're going through you think no one else can identify with. It's hard, but that's your assignment. Every family is a blessing and a responsibility from the Lord. You might have tricky situations to walk through, but the Lord is there with you. The Lord was with Joseph every step of the way. The Lord guided Joseph every place he needed to go. The Lord provided for Joseph to care for his family each time. You need wisdom, strength, grace, mercy. The Lord will provide that in your home. The second thing from what I understand of this is that we need to teach our kids to love the Lord and to obey his commands. First question is, do you know what the commands of the Lord are? In Matthew chapter 28, it talks about to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything I've commanded you. Do you know what Christ commanded us? We need to help our kids understand what Christ wants for his people. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not onerous. They're not unreasonable. They actually give life and protection and joy when we follow them. How hard is it to you know, not murder, or not lie, or not commit adultery. These kinds of commands in the Old Testament. What about respecting parents? Not too hard to do. Jesus also wants us to love others, to forgive others, to pray for others. All good things to teach our children and to model for them. How are we teaching our kids to love God and to obey what he asks us to do? When he says, share the good news, we can do that. When he says get baptized, we can do that. When he, when he says uh, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength, well, we can do that and model that for our kids to see. Third thing that I take from this <clears throat> is that we need to pray for our family every day, that they would seek the favor of the Lord. If your kids, and I know this is a bit touchy, but if your kids are not following the Lord, then you're not done praying. We need to pray every day for our kids. If they are giving into temptation, we need to pray more that God would give them wisdom and strength to do the right thing. If there's strife and criticism and jealousy and pride, more prayer is required of you in your home. God is bigger. God is amazing. God will intervene. He will soften hearts and bring reconciliation. He will heal relationships. And he will bring peace if we pray, if we invite him in, 
If we forget to pray for our kids and our family and our home, we are keeping God out. Invite him in every day to the lives of your, in your marriage and in your relationships at home. The last thing, um, you might not be able to teach them a, a career, <clears throat> but you can prepare them properly for life. Show them how to save money and how to spend wisely. Show them how to give to God what belongs to God, to be a good friend who builds others up. Show them how to take care of their things, to keep their promises, how to work hard. And maybe you don't know how to show them how to fix a car or change the oil or build a cabinet or keep house plants alive. But you can build into them good character and strong morals and ethics. You can help them be compassionate and caring for people. I often took one of my kids with me when I was ministering to someone in the church. We'd go visit and, and help them out, bring them some food or help fix some things for them. And my, I remember my son says, why do we do this? I said, because we love them. And we want, want them to know that God loves them too. And my kids caught on. They caught on. I remember my one son coming home. I hope he's not watching on the live stream right now. <clears throat> But he's driving home, I think, along the river here. We were living on 240th Street at the time. And he came in and he burst into the house and he said, Dad, you should have seen the reflection of the sun on the river as I drove home. It was beautiful. And I thought, you noticed. I worked hard at having them notice what God has done around us, notice the beauty of God's creation, notice the, the flower or the, or the beautiful meadow or the, the mountains and and when he came in and said, you should have seen the sunset, I thought, he's catching on, but he also needs to catch on how to be loving and compassionate and kind. So Joseph listened to the messages of the angels. He followed the instructions just as they were given. He may not have fully understood who Jesus was or what Jesus would mean to all humanity, but I have to believe that Joseph would have been proud of the difference Jesus made in the lives of the people all around him. Hard-working dad saw a hard-working son making a difference. Through dads and moms, what do you need to behold of God today? We're talking about behold. What do you need to see in your home today? What do you want God to do in your family? What future does he have planned for you and your children? Are you listening for him? And are you prepared to respond when he speaks? I encourage all the families in our church to take some time this Christmas to sit down, maybe a cup of coffee or some, some uh, hot apple cider. Sit around in your living room and, and just reflect what has God done in our family this past year? What does he want to do in the coming year through our family? What difference does he want to make through us in our neighborhood, with our other family members, relatives, at work, at school? And ask God to speak to you and then do what he says. We pray. Thank you, God, for this day, for your word, for Joseph, his example, his obedience, his being a good dad, caring for the children you put in his home, being an example to follow. May we, Father, be the one you can count on, the one you can speak to, the one you can give instructions to, because 
It makes a difference. Let us, Father, see you and behold your glory and watch as you do amazing things for the people here at MRAC. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.